Isaiah 53, Isaiah chapter 53, and tonight I'd like to read verse number 8. Isaiah 53 and verse number 8. We'd like to thank you again tonight for coming to the meeting, for being here and listening, and I'd like to invite you to come out throughout the rest of the week, every night, 7.30 until Wednesday, tonight, tomorrow night, and Wednesday night, 7.30 p.m. All are welcome. We're going to read our opening text, Isaiah 53. And verse number 8, and it says this, He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. And we'll ask the Lord to bless the reading of his precious word. Tonight, As Joey has been doing and as we've been attempting to do throughout the entire series, I would like to to speak very simply, but I'd also like to speak very pointedly. I'd like to be direct because we don't have much time and the message doesn't have all that much information, but the information that it does have tonight can change your life. You can be saved and you can put your confidence on this book. And you can leave the meeting tonight saying this, I know I'm saved. I know Jesus died for me. And I'm going to be with him forever. You can do that tonight because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you. So as we explain the message, please pay attention to what God is saying. And you can leave with God's own blessing. This verse that we read here in Isaiah 53 is a verse that was written many years before what the verse is talking about happened. And today we spoke to a man who asked me this question. He said, I'm a little skeptical about the Bible, and when I look at the Bible, I see that there's two halves, and on one side of the Bible, it's the the Jewish part, that's what he said, and then on the other side, it's a newer part, the Christian part, and I don't really understand. It looks like they contradict. Why don't they go together? Well, this is one of those chapters that show us the great truth about the Bible. The Bible is one whole book, and it is harmonious. The Bible is one book, and there are no contradictions. It is one story, and from Genesis all the way over to Revelation, it is consistent. And you cannot go to one book and say, well, this author is teaching this about salvation, and then go to another book and say, well, he says something else about salvation. It's all the same message. And one of the greatest proofs of this is Isaiah chapter number 53. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before the cross took place. Before the Lord Jesus Christ died at Calvary, this was written. Joey told me that one time he heard a preacher preach on this text. You know, he he did something kind of cheeky at the beginning of the meeting. And he told the crowd, I'm going to read you a newspaper clipping. And then he proceeded, and it was about the cross, and he proceeded to read the newspaper clipping. And he said that he was talking about the cross. And then he pulled a fast one, and he said, actually, I was reading Isaiah 53. You know, you could almost do that. It looks as if the author, Isaiah, was standing at the foot of the cross. It's almost as if he was right there, and he's looking at the Lord Jesus, and he could see all the detail, and he could hear the words, and he could see the blood, and he could see the nails, and he could see the crown, and he could see the people, and the soldiers, and the Jews, and seeing his mother, and seeing John, and seeing the entire scene right there, almost like a journalist 
would go with his little pen and paper and write all the details. Well, look at this crowd. There's a young girl in this row, and there's some young people way there at the back, and there's a few young ones right here, black shoes, and you could write all the details right there. This artist, this author. It's almost like he did that. Have you ever read Isaiah 53 in that sense? I want to read this verse again. And I'd like to read it with a slightly different rendering that we have in another translation called the NET. And this is what it says. He was, sorry, he was taken from prison and from judgment. The other version says this. He had an unjust trial. That sounds like something you read in the New Testament. Look at the next, next verse, next line. Who shall declare his generation? This is a slightly different rendering. And it says this. And who even cared? You know, if there were an actual journalist right there, he would have written those exact same words. It was an unjust trial that led him to the cross. And no one even cared about the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ was sent to the cross, even though he didn't deserve to go. Tonight, I want to talk to you about this unjust trial. I want to tell you about how this was a wrong trial. He should not have gone to the cross. I want to talk to you about the reaction that they had to the trial and to the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the end, we're going to learn about the reality of what happened at that trial. Just think for a moment, right here at the beginning, how it was a wrong trial. You know, sometimes people come into our lives and we need them, right? You have older sisters and siblings or maybe younger ones. I remember my older brother, he would pick on me and he would point out things about me. And maybe as an older brother, you do that about your younger ones, right? You point things out and you make fun of them and you push their buttons. You point things out. You know, when you're older, you need this to happen as well. And people come into your life and they point things out. You're doing too much of this and not enough of that. And you know what we do with people like that? When they point out things in our lives that we don't want to change, we push them away. And we push them away far so we don't need to hear about them. That's essentially what these people we're doing. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he came to the earth, he looked at every single man's life and he looked at every single man's heart and he could see what was in it and he could see what they've done. He could know what they were going to do. He could look at the trajectory of your life and he could say, you are on a wrong path. And I would say to you tonight, on the authority of the word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself would want me to tell you, if you're not saved, you're on the wrong path. If you're not saved, you're on the wrong path. That's what he told these people. And they pushed him away. Maybe you're doing that tonight. Sometimes, you know, I've sat in a gospel meeting before. I know what it's like to sit there and not be saved. I know what it's like for a preacher to stand in front and point his finger at the crowd. I know what it's like. And you know what's inside your heart? You know what I would think at that time? I'd want to push him away. I don't want to think about what you're saying. I don't want to think about that truth. And you push it away. Well, these people push the Lord Jesus away as well. There'll be somebody here in the meeting tonight who's not going to push him away. If you bring him close and you don't push him away from you, if you bring him close and you hear those hard, tough words to swallow, you can be saved tonight. If you are honest with yourself, you can be saved tonight. If you hear what he says, we push them away. How did they push him away? Well, they pushed him away in this sense. They said, what you are saying about us, we don't receive it. Don't have the same reaction. Don't have the same reaction. This is exactly how they did it. They had an unjust trial. That's what the first line of the verse says. He was taken from prison and from judgment. He had an unjust 
trial. You see, back at this time, in order to have a proper trial, there were a lot of things that needed to be in place. And for a proper trial, you need, well, just like here in the United States and in Canada and so on, you need a judge, and you're going to need some witnesses, and you're going to need a defendant. And when it comes to this trial, we don't see any of those ingredients. We don't see any of those elements. What we see in the trial of the Lord Jesus Christ is you can see that, yes, there was a court. There were people that looked at him and they looked at his life, but not all of them were there. And we can see that, yes, they did bring him before people and there were accusers, but the accusers, none of them agreed. And you can see, yes, there was a time when they brought them, but when they brought the Lord Jesus Christ, it was at the wrong time. Did you know that when they judged the Lord Jesus Christ, it was at nighttime? You know when they're supposed to judge people at that time? During the day. They did it during the night. And they did it hastily. They did it speedily. They were trying to do it as fast as possible because they wanted him to die. And the witnesses came. They needed two or three witnesses. You know, all all those witnesses, they had to have the same story. These witnesses didn't have the same story. Many times, actually every time, they had to wait a few days. They would sit on it, and they would think about it, and they would weigh the pros and the cons, and they would weigh the, ac- the accusers, and they would weigh the, the defense of the person, and they would wait. But this time, they didn't wait. They kept going and going, and they said, we need to get this done as fast as possible. We can't, you know, normally they would stone a person. They wouldn't crucify them. And they said, no, stoning's not going to be enough. You know, at that time, they had to use the, the, the person who was accusing them. They would be the first one to cast the stone. That's why the Lord Jesus said, he who has sinned, cast the first stone. And that person had to be sure that they had the right testimony. Because if they lied about the person, then they would be punished. But this time, none of those people, not one of them had the same testimony as the other. But they kept going and they kept doing it. They took him from one house and they rushed him to the court and then they rushed him to Pilate and they rushed him to the cross. Why? Because it was an unjust trial. He should not have been under trial. He shouldn't have been judged. He shouldn't have been taken to the cross. But he was. Do you know why? Because we push away. We push away the truth. We push away men. We don't want to face the truth. We don't want to face our sin. We want God to be far. We want the Lord Jesus to be far. We don't want what he says. Friend, pay attention. Pay attention to his words tonight. Pay attention to what he's saying to you. Don't push him away. Don't push him away. Don't put him on trial again. And say he's guilty. Get him out of my sight. You know what the Jews said about him? We will not have this man reign over us. And every person in the meeting tonight, that's what you're saying to him. If you are rejecting salvation, I will not have this man to reign over me. Crucify him. Crucify him. That's what they cried. That's what they called. Get him out. They pushed him away. It's an unjust trial. But if you bring him close, you bring him close, close enough to hear his words, close enough to hear even his breath then you can be saved because it's his word that saves. The word stings. It hurts to hear the truth. But only with the truth will you be set free. It was an unjust trial. But we see in the second line of the verse, it says he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? Who even cared? Who even cared? You know, when they took the Lord Jesus and they put him on the cross, 
You know, the people around, do you think they care? If you were to see a man tortured, would you care? You probably would, wouldn't you? If you saw a man and he was being beaten, and he had nails in his hands, and he had nails in the feet, and he, had, he was being tortured by these people, you would probably care. And there would be people in the room, and you'd probably say, that is such a sad and tragic event. Why are they doing that to that poor man? They didn't care. They didn't care. It says right here, who even cared about the fact that he had an unjust trial? Do you know now in, today's, in, in our society, you as young people and the older people in the crowd, when you go to school, they want you to care about very specific things. Focus in on things. You need to care about this. And they'll say, not only should you care, and not only should you care about this, you should care very strongly about this, and about this topic, and about that topic, about this social issue, and about that political agenda. You need to care. If I could say it this way tonight, there's one thing that you absolutely must care about tonight. It is about the Lord Jesus Christ. You must care about him. You must care about him. Take it all out of your mind. All the things you learned in school today, remember it tomorrow because you have homework. But get it all out of your mind for an hour. Get it all out of your mind just for a moment and care about one single thing. You know, the disciples in Mark chapter 4, we read about them and they, they said about the Lord, they're inside of a boat. Remember that story? They're inside of a boat. And all of a sudden, the, the waves and the billows and the wind, and, and it was scary. And the Lord Jesus Christ was sleeping on a pillow inside of the boat. And they said this, Master, carest thou not? They didn't say it like that. They were actually scared. <laughs> Don't you care? We're drowning. That's basically what they were saying. We're drowning. Don't you care about us? You know what he did? He got off from that pillow. He knew exactly what was happening. And he rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, peace, be still. And everything was calm. And then he said this to them. Why do you have such little faith? Why don't you trust me? I care. I care. One of the most beautiful verses in all First Peter. And there's a lot of good ones in First Peter. Right towards the end of First Peter in chapter number 5, it says this. Cast your anxieties on him. For he cares for you. He cares for you. And I can say this to every single person in the room tonight with authority. I can tell you, I can tell you with my hand on the word of God, knowing exactly what it says. I can communicate this to you tonight. If you cast the care of your sin problem on him, he will care for you. And he will save you. He will give you eternal salvation. Forgiveness of your sins. Do you know why? Because he cares for you. It says here in this line, nobody cared about him. Nobody cared about him. Now one person looking at the cross said, oh, why did they do it to him? Save one or two, his mother and obviously the apostle John standing there. But the majority, they did not care for him. Look at the next line. Not only was it an unjust trial, it's a wrong trial. Not only do we see the reaction to the trial, they didn't care. But here we can see he was cut off from the land of the living. This is the result of the trial. It's an unjust trial, but 
There was also a result. It wasn't just the fact that it was wrong. It wasn't just the fact that they didn't do it right. It wasn't just the fact that it wasn't according to Jewish case law at the time. It was this simple fact. There was a result from this trial, and it was his crucifixion. It says here very specifically, he was cut off from the land of the living. You know what that means? That means he died. Because of that trial, he died. Why was it such a cruel death? You ever think about that? I just want to ponder that just for a few minutes. Why was it such a cruel death? And I want to tell you tonight the reason why it was a cruel death is because of the sin inside cruel people like you and like me. I mentioned an illustration the other day about that man. The man who stood trial, who stood opposite Adolf Eichmann over in The Hague, and Adolf Eichmann, that man who committed those atrocities in the terror camps over in Nazi Germany and in Poland and all the different places that they were, there were. There's a lady who spoke about that man, Adolf Eichmann. You know, he committed some of the nastiest things that you'll ever hear about. And she said, when I went to the trial, her name was Hannah Arendt. She wrote a famous book called Totalitarianism. And she said, as I looked at that man, she said, I was expecting to see somebody who was a psychopath, somebody with hate, and somebody with anger. And she said, I looked into him. I looked into his eyes. And all I saw was a man who was just like me, just like you and me, who was trying to build a career. Just a normal man. And she's famous for this line, this phrase that she coined. And it's, it's this. The banality of evil. Do you know what that means? That means that evil in this world is normal. Evil in this world is normal. That's why normal people like you and like me crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, you say you thought those were cruel. Those were the worst people of society. They must have been Nazis. The people that did it over there, they must have been, they must have been those nasty people that you see in other parts of the world that massacre and that kill. They must have been some of the worst people in human history, the ones that crucified the Lord. No. They're normal people. Normal people like you. Normal people like me. But because of the sin inside of them, they took the Lord Jesus Christ and they sent him over to the Romans and the Romans, normal people too, they put him on the cross and a normal man, a normal man took a hammer and he took a nail, and he drove it into his hands and into his feet. A normal man. And that's why tonight I'd like to impress on you the reason why the Lord Jesus Christ died a cruel death is because cruel people like you and like me, we put him there. We put him there. Do you see yourself at the cross? This man saw himself at the foot of the cross for a very specific reason, because he knew exactly what was going to happen. Do you see yourself at the foot of the cross? I mentioned a reporter at the foot of the cross. Remember that? The guy writing down the details? Do you see yourself at the foot of the cross? Not as some reporter describing what other people are doing. But could you see yourself at the foot of the cross actually joining, as old preachers used to say, the rabble crowd? Joining that audience and with one voice saying the exact same words, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Can you see yourself there? I have to tell you tonight, 
I'd like to think I'm a normal person. Talk to my wife after. She can give you the low down. <laughs> but I want to tell you something. I would be right there with them. I would have joined the chorus. I would have said the same words. I would have wanted him to die. If I lived at that time, there's nothing different about me. There's no difference between me and those men that crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. Why was he cut off out of the land of the living? Why? Cruel people. No, they were people like you and like me because of sin. Because of the sin you have. Because of the sin that I had but was forgiven and has been covered. I am saved. Let's look at the very last phrase in the verse. And we'll finish with this. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. The transgression of my people was he stricken. There's a little note in my margin, and this is the way. I was talking to Joey about this. This is, there's another way to, to translate this. Faithful to the original. But there's just a little bit more force right here. Just listen to this. This is how the margin says. It says this. The stroke was upon him. For the str- transgression of my people was the stroke upon him. You see, when it comes to punishment, you can punish different things, and you can punish in different ways. And if you want to strike someone for a punishment, well, you can take a stone like they did at that time, and you can take that stone, and you can throw it, and you can throw it to different people, and you can punish different people at different times and in different ways. But there was just one way that this stroke could be applied, and there was one person who could receive the stroke. Do you know what the word stroke means? That's not, we think of stroke today. A stroke is, you know, some people get a stroke and it hurts them, they become paralyzed. That's not the kind of stroke that it's talking about. It was a blow, a blow, but not just a physical blow. It was a spiritual blow. That's why I put over this line the reality of the cross. You see, we think about the Lord Jesus Christ and his punishment, and you can think about it in this way. Well, look, all these men, they, they raise their hands to wound him. And Peter even says, you meant by wicked hands have crucified and slain the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know what? This was God's design. God designed it this way precisely and exactly this was the only way that sin could possibly be dealt with. By God's design, the only possible judgment for sin that would actually affect you. Lots of things you can do for your sin. Cover it, suppress it, do something, put it under the rug. But this was the only one that could actually affect your sin, actually deal with your sin. And it says this, for the rebellion, for the transgression of my people was the stroke, was the blow upon him. All of God's justice, all concentrated and focused on one single person. I was thinking about it like this. You guys used a magnifying glass before? You know, I remember when I was a kid, you take the magnifying glass and on a sunny day in Vancouver, there's about two or three sunny days every 365 days. And uh, you take your magnifying glass out and if the sun's really hot, you put it in front of the light and you can kill ants and all that kind of thing, kind of weird things you do when you're a kid, right? Not anymore. But you, you put it in front of the sun and it focuses down in on one thing. We used to do the paper. Put it on the paper, and there's a tiny little hole, and it gets bigger, and it starts to burn. It focuses in on one single 
precise, exact thing. Look at that verse again. For the transgression of my people was the stroke upon him, upon him. It's almost as if a magnifying glass was taken out and God's justice went through the magnifying glass and focused directly and specifically on him without affecting you or without affecting me. It wasn't like a, a bomb. I have to close, but do you, maybe some of you remember learning about in Nagasaki and in Hiroshima. Those bombs, those nuclear bombs, they fell and they fell in one spot but all the buildings around would have exploded and the radiation would have radiated all around the city and the people got sick and they were burning and all were affected because of one bomb with one epicenter, but all the people around, this one it says, it fell on him and just on him and no one else was affected by it. God didn't strike you. He struck his son. God should have struck me, but he struck his son. And for that reason, tonight you can look at that unjust trial. And you can see the way that those people reacted. They didn't care. But you can walk out of this meeting and with confidence, with assurance, knowing because he took the punishment for me. I can put my faith on him and be saved. Who in the meeting is going to leave with that blessing? Will you leave unsaved like you walked in? Or will you leave with your faith on him and receiving the gift of salvation? Stroke fell upon him. And there's nothing left to be done. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved.